we start weird every week. Well, I'm going to make it a little weirder today. No, I'm just kidding. Just close your eyes for just a minute. And I want to borrow your imagination. I want to put some pictures up on the front of your brain. A gift that God gave us is something called imagination. And I want you to imagine yourself to be a number among the Hebrew slaves that had just escaped Egypt. Those slaves had known slavery their entire lives. They had all been beaten. They had been worked to the edge of human uh, possibility many, many times. They'd almost been killed by their Egyptian captors. And now, through a display of God's power, ten incredible plagues, most of them they were protected from. Now they are free and they have traveled across the wilderness. And they're at the foot of a mountain And the leaders have put a fence around the mountain so no one can go up the mountain that day. And all the people have been called out, 1.5 million Hebrews. And there you are in the number, shoulder to shoulder with your people. And you're looking at the mountain because something's going to happen. Something God is going to happen. And the earth begins to shake. You look up at the mountain and a dark cloud descends upon the mountain out of nowhere. There's no storm front coming in. Just a cloud forms and begins to descend down this mountain. And the earth trembles and there's thunder like you have never heard before. The kind of thunder that vibrates your very soul. And you are terrified. Because that's what effect that kind of thing has on you. The earth shaking, your heart shaking. Moses himself says that I am extremely frightened and trembling, according to Hebrews 12. Now you can look up. I want you to realize before we talk about prayer, exactly who we're talking to when we pray. It is awesome, the New Testament privileges privileges that we've received. It's awesome that I can be having a bad day and I can just shout out to God or I can just have a chat with my father driving down the road. That's wonderful. But I think it would be even more wonderful if you could ever wrap your heart around just how awesome this God is. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. And in this modern age, we don't like to think of being afraid of God. And so we say, well, that just means respect. So let me help you out. What the Hebrew means on that is fear. Fear. Terrible fear of God. Why? Like, Michael, I don't like how you're painting God. Bear with me. If you will let me help you see God, how he is, it will so change the opportunity and your heart toward prayer. But I want you to know that this God that you worship is the star breather. He's the one who walks in the middle of nothing. Nothing, nothing, and says, let there, and there is. He's a God that formed man out of dirt and mud, left him on the ground, and then breathed into him the breath of life, and that breath is the breath you breathe today. Now, this breath of God, he is the God on the throne in heaven, surrounded by myriads of angels who declare his glory and his holiness every second of every day. They love doing it. They get to worship the presence of God. He's surrounded by these weird creatures who are also praising him. He's surrounded by the nation of Israel and the representation of the church. They're also declaring his holiness. There is thunder. There is lightning. There is unbearable light that you could not peer into, glimmering, glistening from the throne overpowering anything near it 
This is where your father, where God is right now. And your heartbeat, your next heartbeat, your next breath will only come at his intent. So yes, you should fear God. We should fear God. He is awesome. We really need to reclaim the word awesome just for God. It should be his word. Because he's the only thing that's truly awesome. Awesome means awe-filled. Could mean terrifying in certain contexts. He is awesome. In the Old Testament, this is how people viewed God in prayer. They did not know God as Father. They did not know God as this. Uh, they knew he was loving and he was forbearing and he was patient and he was kind. But they did not know him as we know him through Jesus Christ. And when they approach God, you read Old Testament prayers, they are loaded with reverence. Things like, oh, mighty God, awesome God, fearful Lord. All kinds of expressions used to address the God of the universe. The Hebrew mind wouldn't even pronounce the proper name of God. In the Old Testament, it is shortened to just the consonants because they did not feel the human tongue was worthy to even say God's real name. That's the reverence that we need to have. This is why when I talk about reading the Bible, you've got to read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Until you meet the awesome God of the Old Testament, you will never know the loving Father that you encounter in the New. One is required to properly embrace the other. Now, that being said, you're like, what does that have to do with prayer? If I came to you this morning and I stood up here and said, hey guys, I just won the lottery. And I'm going to hand out checks for $100,000 to anyone who wants it at the end of service. I'm just going to stand back there. You just come up. Tell me your name. I'll fill in your name. $100,000 check. Would I have to ask anyone to come and see me after church? Does anyone not need $100,000? I mean, because I, I do, and I feel like I should sit next to you if you don't need it. So, <clears throat> The fact that Christians struggle with prayer is simple evidence to the fact that we have no idea how awesome the being is that we get to pray to. Do you understand? That invitation where God says, boldly come into the throne room and receive grace and mercy to help you in time of need, that invitation was offered to nobody before Jesus. No one could just walk into the presence of God, and every person of the Old Testament who got any kind of vision of God was almost destroyed by it, literally destroyed by a vision of who God is. And so I want you to know how awesome it is that we get to pray. That's where I want to lay the basis for this. It is an awesome, wonderful privilege that we should never take for granted. And if you, and I know I myself, when I look at my life and see the lack of prayer therein, I see that I do not properly understand God, nor do I understand the amazing gift that Jesus Christ has provided for us. So today, we're going to talk about the one thing that changes everything. The one thing that changes everything, not just in your life, but in our world. And so we're going to do three weeks, may, may, I think three weeks, it could be four, things could change, on prayer. Today I want to look at how this, this whole thing that we call the church got started and how, how part, like part of the DNA, part of the heart of everything is just embedded in this concept of prayer. 
And everybody who studies church history, who reads the Bible, knows that prayer is critically important. Knows that every major move of God in the history of the world was always, always preceded by a move to prayer. People started praying. Because the reason they start praying is when you need miracles, you got to talk to someone who can do miracles, and that's not you. It's not me either. And also, for me it's important, because prayer is the main thing that connects you to your Father. The Bible says there's one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing between you and God. Too many people want to put a pastor, a big spiritual leader, a theologian, an activist. They want to put them on a pedestal and go to them, just like the nation of Israel said to Moses, hey, you go up the mountain, and we'll wait here to hear what God had to say. Why aren't we running up the mountain to see God ourselves? You see what I'm saying? So I don't ever want to be a link between you and God. I, in fact, what I want to be is I want to say, hey, there's God. Go get him. Go, go to him. He's the answer. I'm just a guy who stalks loud, passionately, and gets it wrong sometimes. Okay? You connect with the one who is passion, who is power, who is love. So, all of that being said, I want to remind you that Jesus gave the church a blank check. And I want to remind you that Jesus said this in Matthew 18. He said, I also tell you this. If two of you, look around, look at the person next to you. Let's interrupt the verse. Just look, two of you, so that's more than you. That's all, just more than you. It's all. If two of you here on earth, are you guys on earth? Your body is. Your heart can be in heaven, but your, your body's here. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. If only the word of God were true, right? That was, an, that was a sarcastic statement. Don't freak, all right? You hear me? Here's Jesus laying a blank check out. He's saying, hey guys, here it is, here's the check. I signed it with my blood, Jesus Christ. You get together, you agree with somebody on this earth about anything, Papa will get her done. That's a blank check. That's real. Now I know, I know what Hart's saying right now. Because whenever I give you a biblical truth, there's always a lying reality, quote unquote, that comes against it. And someone will say, and I know what your heart will say, but I prayed for this. I had somebody pray for this, and it didn't happen. We'll get to that, okay? Can you be patient? Before you start arguing with what Jesus said, I want you to hear what Jesus said. Here's a blank check. Two of you agree on anything. My father <coughs> will do it. So, how's your prayer life? How is your prayer life? How is that vital connection between you and the father doing? When I say prayer, how do you feel about it? Does it excite you? Is it something you feel like you must do? Or is it something you feel like you get to do? So as you ponder these questions, let's dive in to what the first church did and how that they approached prayer. Okay? So the Bible says this. Oh, one more verse. I want to I look at this one more time. But John 6, 63, before I get into the rest of this really long sermon that will go into the second hour. Just kidding. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. 
And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. So, looks like the study guide's arrived. All right, good deal. Now you'll be able to study. I want you to hear what Jesus says in John 6. He says that the flesh profits nothing, accomplishes nothing. That the spirit is where the power is. Now, church, I'm going to tell you, Michael Maynard, one of the pastor dudes, that should be our official title, Pastor Dude Michael, Pastor Dude Steve, Pastor Dude Michael. One of the pastor dudes, I struggle with this text. And here's why. Because I can do a lot. I can study. I can pray. I mean, I can, I can get on my knees and pray. I can talk to people. I can drink tons and tons and tons of coffee. <clears throat> I've always, no, I'm not going to say that. It's a little too morbid. I'll move right on. <laughs> After church, you can say, what are we going to say about the coffee? And I'll tell you then, but not here, okay? If we could learn this verse, we would, we would have nothing left to us but prayer. We would realize that prayer could change things. So, the Bible says in Acts 1.12, in verse 11, Jesus had just ascended. So, the disciples had gathered on the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ had been pulled up into heaven. He just left them. After the resurrection. So Acts tells us in Acts 1.12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. You hear this verse. You see it. Jesus has just been ascended out of sight. He told them this was going to happen. He had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could be sent. All right? And they see this, and they leave. And, and we know from what Jesus told them at the end of John, um, he says, and now, I mean, at the end of Luke, he says, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I want you to think about that verse for a second. They, they were told to stay. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send the Spirit, but I want you to stay. After I send, I want you to stay. He didn't tell them to pray. And I think that's very important. I think it's important because I think in the absence of, in the, in the realization that Jesus didn't tell them to pray, it actually indicates how significant prayer was to Jesus and the first disciples. Jesus didn't tell them to pray, but for some reason, somehow they knew that when Jesus said to stay and wait, that the only thing left to do when you're staying and waiting is to pray. They realized that for Jesus, everything was prayer. He started the day in prayer, ended the day in prayer, prayed uh, throughout the day, prayed with people, prayed over things. So his life was just filled with prayer. And so the disciples are coming from the Mount of Olives. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them yet. He's on them in a way. He, he did gave the, gave the Spirit in a way in Luke, but it wasn't in them yet. He wasn't a habitational spirit just yet. Because Jesus had to be at the right hand of the Father for that to happen. And so they go back and they know instinctively now to pray. This is how the church of Jesus Christ started, was in prayer. This is how the church, without the visible person of Jesus, began, was with prayer. If it began that way, shouldn't it continue that way? What kind of arrogance leads us to leave prayer 
out of the mix to make it merely bookends on our meetings when everything that happened that was powerful, that was miraculous, that was supernatural was grounded in the, the instinctive, embedded, foundational act of praying. So, the church of Jesus Christ began its journey in prayer. But here's the thing. It wasn't bookends. It wasn't, Lord, bless the day. Thank you. Here we go. Let's go do all we can do. It was actually waiting in prayer. And I think that is what trips us up. I think that's why there are so many prayers in our life that we've prayed and we didn't get the answer. Sometimes we did get it and we didn't want it, but nonetheless, we didn't get the answer because we weren't willing to wait in prayer. You see, Jesus ascends. There's a 10-day lag between Jesus going up and the Holy Spirit coming down. Okay? 10 days. Let me ask you a weird question. You don't have to answer this. Please don't answer this out loud. You ever prayed for anything for 10 days straight? Sobering, isn't it? And I want you to know that the, the initial disciples of Jesus Christ prayed for something that Jesus said was definitely going to happen for 10 days. Do you understand what waiting in prayer? Somehow this is really important to God. And so they're there. They're in Jerusalem. They're waiting in prayer. About 120 souls all together. You factor in the disciples, the, the, uh, the ladies around them, the mothers and sisters, and, and the other brothers and so forth. The Bible tells us there are about 120 of them. So Acts 2. <laughs> Excuse me. If someone gave me a cold, I am going to get you. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion or that Passover. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. This is a, called by many the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the, the church itself was infused with the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's changed. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament up until Jesus Christ was uh, something that happened. He would come upon people, but now the Holy Spirit is in people which has never happened before, other than on special, I mean, it hadn't ha no, it hadn't happened before. Now he's just in people in their lives. And so the believers are together. They are praying, praying together in harmony. The, the King James says, in one accord, which, which means in a harmony. Like your worship team up here today, they were playing, and you had different instruments playing in harmony with each other. They didn't sound the same. They didn't do the same thing. But the, the, what they did do worked with and was in harmony with everything else. The same with the voices. Some were singing lead, and some had harmony in the background. And it sounds good because that's how harmony works. It brings many and makes their difference is beautiful it doesn't make everything the same it, it coordinates the differences and so they came together in harmony in one accord and they prayed and they prayed until something happened and that's what it means to wait in prayer that's what it means to wait in prayer you and i learn to wait in prayer 
And our lives are going to change. Our community is going to change. you got to learn to be like Jacob in the Old Testament. We'll talk more about him, I think, next Sunday. But Jacob was wrestling with an angel of the Lord. And he says, I am not letting you go until you bless me. Even though his leg is out and he's in all kinds of pain. But he says, I will not give up until you bless me. But here's the thing. Jesus taught us that Father is not a strict Father. Father is not in heaven. I mean, he's not a stingy Father. He's not in heaven going, gee, I don't want to give him anything. I'll just give him little scraps to keep him by. That's not how Father works. He's an abundant Father. And so when you begin to pray to God, God's in heaven going, I want to bless them. I want to bless their life. I can't wait to answer this prayer. The problem is we often quit praying before the, the delivery gets here we're so used to amazon prime we want it in two days or two minutes and not even the holy ghost coming that took 10 days you understand and daniel had an, an, an event that happened in the book of daniel where he's praying for an interpretation of a vision and it took him 21 days to get an answer from god and the problem wasn't god in fact the messenger tells daniel i was dispatched immediately but it took me 21 days to fight through the spiritual warfare to get to you do you see what I'm saying? This is what waiting in prayer is about. A lot of times, the only reason we don't get it is we break off the channel of blessing before it can get here. And so here they are, 120 believers in one accord in prayer. Oh, man, I, wouldn't you have liked to have been a part of that prayer meeting? Especially, I mean, I know you're like me. Well, I'd like to have been part of the last day, you know, that, that one day. For 10 days, though, they came together and they prayed. And prayer was so significant for them that the way they started was the way they continued. That we learn at the end of Acts chapter 2. Beginning of Acts chapter 2, the church is 120 strong about. End of Acts chapter 2, so Pentecost plus zero. The end of that day, the church is now 3,120 minimum. We grew by 3,000 people in one day. Okay? And here's how that day ended. Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers, okay, only 120 of them were more than a day old in their faith, okay? So 3,000 left. All the believers, and look at this. Here we see the core values of the church in embryo as she's being born. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there's teaching. And to fellowship, koinonia, coming together. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. Early church has got four core values, day one. Day one, we, we, we get teaching, we learn. We get together, support each other, talk about it. We do communion together. And somehow display the gospel, but that's a sermon for another time. And then we pray. Do you see this? Here's 120 people who have no idea what they're doing. And so they humbly realize the only answer here is to pray. And so we're going to teach these guys how to pray. So day one, first 3,000 Christians, they're learning how to pray. Taught them prayer right away. You see this? This is so they started, they waited in prayer, they taught prayer to the, the new believers, they saw it was important, and then uh, excuse me, then they learned to strengthen themselves in prayer. So we got to go to a cool story now. So we're in Acts, 
I'm kind of stumbling through some Acts verses. Acts 1, they're praying. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 people get saved. Acts 3, the New Testament model of evangelism does not fit modern evangelism at all. And here's why. Peter and John, so Pentecost plus one, they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer, interestingly enough, and they see a lame man in Acts 3. And this is the famous passage where the, the beggar who's lame says, if you got some money, and Peter and John go, we don't have any money, silver and gold have I none, but what I've got, here you go. And dude got up and walked. A miracle. By the way, this is how the gospel spread throughout Israel and Asia in the first century. It was through signs and wonders. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have sound systems. They didn't have cool videos, dance teams, or worship teams. They had miracles. And so they would go in and say, and a lot of people are doing this today, they're saying, God, the only way these people are going to be saved is if you do a miracle, so let's just start with one. And they do that. And ask God to show up, because when there's a miracle, you know God showed up, right? I can be clever, maybe get some people down in, uh, to make decisions, maybe baptize a few. But historically, what we found out of that scenario is less than one out of ten of those will actually follow Christ. In order for someone to follow Christ, they have to actually personally encounter him, which is a miraculous thing. And so that's how Peter and John started. By the way, the end of that day, 5,000 more were added to the church. So day, they're picking up speed, guys. They, for day one, 3,000 come to faith in Christ, and they're gathering together. They're learning the, the disciples' teaching. They're fellowshipping together. They're doing communion together, and they're praying together. Day two, a guy, a guy gets raised up from a, a mat of lameness, and he's walking around praising Jesus. 5,000 more people come to Jesus Christ day two. Now the church that started at 120 is now at 8,120 people in two days. Why? The Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. That's the story. Great story. Exciting story. But here's the thing about making Jesus known in any way possible. It will always get you into trouble. And that's what happened with Peter and John. So Peter and John, the Sanhedrin, called him on the carpet. It wasn't the healing that bothered him. It was the fact that they were saying that this man was healed through the name of Jesus Christ, and they were preaching Jesus. And they had just killed Jesus 50 days before, 51 days before, so that was upsetting. It made them guilty, okay? And so they brought them in, and they tried to, you know, attack, come after them, and persecute them, and those kinds of things. Peter and John, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit, so filled with prayer, they didn't care. They were, like, excited, like, oh, you're persecuting me for telling people about Jesus? Bring it! They're stoked! They're in here, and the guys are coming. This is the moment where they say, hey, you can't talk in Jesus' name anymore, and they say, hey, we don't know if it's legal or not, but we know that we've seen Jesus, and we can't help but tell you what we've seen and heard. And they spent the rest of their lives telling what they had seen and heard. Well, they get released because the Sanhedrin does not know what to do with nuts. <laughs> the world does not know what to do with Jesus freaks. So they get released. And here's what happens, Acts 4.23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Pause. Look up. Look at me just for a second. Peter and John, they come back and say, hey, guys, here's what happened. We got arrested. They told us to shut up about Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to, you know, probably get dead. Here's, here's what the church did. Verse 24, 8,120 people all over Jerusalem. When they heard the report, 
all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And now, Lord, here's what they pray. Hear their threats. Hear their threats and give us, your servants, the ability to shut up and lay low. Oh, no, I misread that. I Americanized it. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. You see what happened here? They were threatened. It's illegal to share Jesus here. That's what's saying. It's illegal. You can't share your faith. It's illegal. What's the church do? Same thing they're doing in China today. Same thing they're doing in Iraq and throughout the Middle East today, where it is illegal to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You know what they're doing? They're not hiding in their homes. Sure, some are. Some are afraid. But the ones who know prayer, they're going to God and they're saying, God, don't help us shut up. Help us to speak up. Help us get loud and proud about Jesus Christ, the answer. You see, because there will always be wicked, evil men who want no one to know the life-saving, soul-saving truth of Jesus Christ. They're always going to be there. And our job is not to cower before wicked, evil men. Our job is to stand up and speak the truth. We know the cure for sin and death, guys. We know it. As believers, there is an answer. And so someone has to proclaim it. And so the church, rather than cowering in fear, rather than taking on that hold the fort mentality and say, oh Lord, let our little church of 8,120 people survive until tomorrow. They know they pray and say, God, give us the courage to risk our lives so that others might learn that Jesus Christ is the answer, that Jesus Christ can save them. Give us power, give us miracles so they cannot deny that you are God. Isn't that awesome? They strengthen themselves in prayer. That's what prayer will do. It will strengthen you. So I want to take all this ranting and raving that I'm not apologetic for at all. And, and I, want to, I want to drive that into our hearts. And I want to do the same thing the early church did with it. First, I want to encourage you to do what Jude says. Dear friends, you must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to strengthen each other. How are we going to strengthen each other? I'm going to say do it through prayer. Yes, it is wonderful to be affirmed. It is amazing when someone comes and says to you, hey, you did a great job, or I'm really proud of you. It's wonderful when someone gives you a word from the Lord, said, man, I was praying for you the other day, and I saw you doing this great thing for Jesus. That's an encouraging thing to share with someone. But when we pray for each other, when we pray for each other, we strengthen each other. When we pray for ourselves, we strengthen ourselves in prayer. Here's a biblical truth on that. Jesus said this to Paul, uh, Peter. Excuse me. He said in John twenty, I mean Luke twenty two forty six. I'm getting my gospels all jumbled today. Why are you sleeping? Actually, this was to the disciples. He said, "Why are you sleeping?" He asked them. Listen, to this. get up and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. 
Get up and pray so you're not giving to temptation. And, and that verse helps me realize that, man, if I'm falling into sin, if I'm feeling tempted, if the enemy can trip me up, then there's a root cause behind that. It's not I don't have enough accountability. I do need accountability, but it's not that. It's that I'm probably not praying. I'm probably not spending a significant amount of my short life in prayer. How did Jesus find so much time to pray? That was one busy dude. And his ministry was only three and a half years long, and he got more done than anyone has since. And so when we pray, we find victory over temptation. We strengthen ourselves. Now, I want to be really clear, and I, I tried to hit this last week. I'm not sure I hit it enough. What I'm talking to you about is not something to impress God with so that he'll do what you want. There's enough Bible studies and books out there that kind of, basically their premise is, here's how to worship yourself and get God to do what you want. And, and they would never say it that way, but that's exactly what they say. And so I'm telling you, when I call you to prayer and I say we need to learn to prayer and we need to build our lives on prayer, I'm not saying, hey, if you pray, God's going to be impressed. How do you impress the creator of the universe? I mean, really, what have you got? You may have a, a vault full of gold, more than in Fort Knox. Say, God, hey, I've got all this gold. And he goes, hey, I paved street for that. I thought that was funny. Some of you guys did. Revelation, streets of gold. Anyway. You got nothing to impress God. There's only one thing that impresses God. That's Jesus Christ. You surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, declaring him as Lord and following him. That is the only thing that impresses God. So when I'm talking about prayer, I'm not talking about you trying to impress God so he'll do what you want. I'm talking about you being impressed by God. That's what prayer does. Prayer puts me in his presence. And the more I'm in his presence, the more I'm going to start to think like him, act like him, look like him, and act, do what he does. And so uh, when we choose prayer, so when I talk about prayer, I'm asking you to choose it. Because we make like a billion choices every day, don't we? Most of them are on automatic. Like 90, 95% of them are habits. You know, you, maybe your habit is you, you get up in the morning at whatever time, 5, 6, 7, whatever time it is. And you go, maybe you get your workout in. And then you come home, take a shower. And then you go to work. And then you work 8, 9, 10, 15 hours. Then you come home, plop down in your chair, click on the TV. Those are all choices that you made. And you made them so often that they're just habits now. You don't even think about them. You just do them. Well, I'm saying, hey, instead of making all those, uh, those automatic choices, change up a few. Instead of choosing to live a dead-end life, choose prayer. Choose to connect with the one who is life. Instead of choosing to complain about the people you don't like or those who've hurt you or your boss or your employees or whatever, instead of choosing complaining, why not choose praying? You know those people who really bug you in life and rub you the wrong way? They should be at the very top of your prayer list. That's right. You should pray for them before you pray for the people you like. Okay? Why? Because your father loves them. Like crazy. I, I got a new one. He loves you too. Isn't that crazy? So, prayer builds us up and strengthens us if we choose to pray. And think about your choices now. Are they really strengthening you? But prayer will. Don't just pray. Choose prayer. It'll give you victory. Also choose prayer because when we pray, anything is possible. Now, when we pray, anything is possible. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in this room, you don't have to raise your hand. Just, you can just look like it applies. Just make a face. Like, you know, so whatever you can come up with, you know. 
Anybody got an impossible in their life right now? Anybody got an impossible? Just, I see no solution here. I, I, there's no way to get this done. This is never going to happen. I can't, whatever. Anybody got an impossible? I do. I got a few. In fact, you probably have a few impossibles. You're enduring things right now, enduring a situation, whatever it is, and you need, well, you just need a miracle. You need a new possibility. And isn't that what a miracle is? It's standing in the face of impossible circumstances, and all of a sudden a new possibility presents itself. A lame man's on a mat. His, he, the, what he's praying for is money because he needs to eat that night. No idea that there was a new possibility available to him, that he could be walking by the end of the day. And so, yeah, you're facing impossible circumstances, so you need a new possible. Jesus said, what is impossible for people... So let me put, let's just say this. What is impossible for me, what is impossible for ordinary faith, what is impossible for Rock Springs, is possible with God. So when we pray, yeah, we're strengthened. No matter what, you get strength. You get that for free. That's like just the cream on top. But when you pray, all of a sudden, now you open yourselves up to possibilities that you never before imagined. Because your God is the creator. And so how this has changed my life is I, I very seldom nowadays ask God for specific things. It's cool to ask God for specific things because he answers specifically. So I don't want to dismiss that. But especially when I'm praying for people, I don't want to underpray them. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, God may want to make them the most successful person in the state of Wyoming. God may want to totally heal them. God may want to make their marriage an example for the entire world to see. Who knows what God wants to do? And so now, I just pray for encounters with God. I pray for, for God to show up in their life, for this presence of God. And then sometimes I ask him, say, God, just, is there something I should pray for them? That's how I pray for people now. Because I, I don't want to underpray. I mean, a lot of people come to me and say, oh, just pray for my husband that this situation will change. If I pray for that, I, I could be way under the bar. I mean, there could be a walking around coming rather than laying on the mat begging for change. That makes sense? All right. And so prayer makes all things possible. Jesus said in Luke 9, 11, 9, he says, So I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on receiving and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. What if you knew? What if you knew? Okay, pause. I want you to pull out your impossible right now. Just look at it. Here's whatever your impossible is. Just look at it. Now, you're looking at your impossible. What if you knew that if you prayed about that impossible for three hours, that God would give you a new possibility? What if you knew? You had no doubt. If I prayed for three hours, then I would have my possible. Would you do it? What if it was three days? I mean, is your impossible so big that it'd be worth three days of prayer? What if it were three months? Is your impossible so big that it would be worth three months of praying intensely about? What if it were three quarters or nine months? What if it were three years? What if it were three decades? Do you know of anything in your life that would be worth three, 30 years of prayer? I do. I got some lost friends, and they're worth every minute of 30 years of prayer. Okay? I, you know, I'm just saying, what if... The only distance between you and your possible is how much you choose to pray for it. What an idea. 
I'm not giving you a new law to live by. I'm not telling you to go home and make some new rules about prayer. I'm saying, choose to pray. Why? Because why sit at the bottom of the mountain, fenced away from your God, terrified of who he is, when you can run up through the, the cloud and enjoy him in his throne room and know him as your father? That's what's going on in your life. The reason we don't like praying is because we see it as a duty, because we see God as this big, scary, unknowable, benign, maybe out there thing. And God's saying, I want you to run through this terrifying cloud because I'm your father who loves you dearly so much that I sent my only son for you. No one has ever loved you like I love you, and I want you in my throne room, not at the bottom of my mountain. So when we pray, we strengthen ourselves for victory. When we pray, things become possible. And when we pray, excuse me, I got to go in there. When we pray together, even more possibilities are made available. Jesus said in Luke 18, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep pulling, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? That's a verse more about persistence. I actually meant to jump to this verse, but you needed to hear that one anyway. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, I'll tell you this. I mean, if Jesus says, I'll tell you this, you should listen. It says, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So let's, we're back at that impossible you're looking at in your hand right now. And I, I started out saying, what if it was three days between your, possible, your impossible and your possible? What if you could shorten that three days, three weeks, three months, three quarters, three years? What if you could shorten it if you prayed with somebody? Two or three agreed in prayer. And uh, one of the high points of my life was in 1994. It was a year that God did so much in my life, it, it blew my mind. It still does to this day. In fact, it actually blows my mind more today because I understand better what he overcame to make it happen. But in 1994, uh, Ricky Bibbs, who you don't know, but he's an old friend of mine, he said, hey, we're having a prayer meeting at the church on Tuesday night, and I'd like you to come. And I said, well, I, I'm sure we pray. Now, I want you to understand, I grew up in a, a very conservative, fundamental Baptist church, and nothing against fundamentals, but this is how we prayed. Somebody started, the next guy went, the next guy went, the next guy went, the last guy finished, and you were done. That's how we prayed. So Ricky Bibbs said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting. I said, okay, I'm coming. That's what I expected. I planned for about an hour, hour and a half maybe, depending on how long-winded somebody was. Because sometimes people don't pray, they preach, but that's a different discussion. So I went to pray, and so we prayed. <laughs> and we went through, and we did that. And then all of a sudden, before we got to the last guy, Ricky Bibbs prayed again. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, 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 you're messing up the system, dude. One, two, three, four, out. That's how this is done. I was pretty immature back then. Ricky prayed again. I said, we're going to be here all night. Little did I know. After about an hour, Ricky took a break. He said, you know what, guys? If you guys can't stay, don't worry about it. Uh, we're, we're going to pray some more. You guys can go. And I thought, well, I'm not leaving, man. I'm, I surrendered to the ministry. I can't let them know I'm just as carnal as the next guy. i got to cover this up. So I'll stay. Surely they won't go more than another hour. 
That meeting started at 7 o'clock. I walked out the door at 1 a.m. a changed man. Changed. Why? Because we started praying. It took an hour and a half to just really start praying. And we started walking around praying. That's, Ricky scared me. He turned the lights down dim, and rather than kneeling down to pray like I was used to, he started walking around the room. And I'm like, whoa, man. I'm saying, you know, that's kind of cool. So I started walking around the room. Another guy in the room named Donald Moss, who's the slowest talker I've ever known in my life. I finished every sentence he ever started with me. He drove me insane. <laughs> Donald Mar Moss started praying. And Israel Palmo, who was from Mexico, started praying. And, and we, through that prayer meeting, I'm telling I wish I could, I wish I had time to go into the awesome things that happened in that prayer meeting. Because we, you know, God was doing great things in us, but there was a senior ladies group that had started praying at the same time and another group that had started praying at the same time that my wife was a part of. And I'm telling you, our pastor left the church. I came and they asked me to preach as an interim. I was an idiot, knew nothing, and we were seeing people saved and baptized on a weekly basis. And I'm sitting there going, hey, I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. And all it really was was people were praying. And the church started praying. A mission trip came out of that. A mission trip that when we went to Mexico on that mission trip to Israel Palma's village, we saw over 300 people come to Christ in less than four days. Just crazy stuff happening. Why? Woo! When the church starts to pray, stuff starts happening. You know, there's a, there's a passage in Chronicles. A prophet says to King Asa, he says, you know, the Lord is looking from heaven to see someone who wants him, someone who wants to accomplish for him so he can strengthen them. 2 Chronicles 18 or 19. I'm telling you, God's looking for people out there who pray. If you're trying to impress God through all the things you're doing, how hard you're working, you've probably been doing it a long time because you can't impress God. But when you want God, when you want Him, when you look at that fence and they tell you that if you cross that thing, you'll die because that's what they told the children of Israel. And you look at that and go, I... I want my father so bad, it's worth dying. Didn't Jesus say that you're going to have to lay down your life to follow him? So pray first. Ask God today to give you a heart and a passion for prayer. Find someone you can pray with. Find someone that you can pray with. And I know how to, you can get in places in life where you have a lot of friends and the idea of praying with those friends can seem really awkward. So either encourage them to pray or find new friends. Find someone you can pray with. And put prayer first in your life. It will not only change you. It'll change ordinary faith. It'll change rock springs. God is raising up a praying people. That's what the church has always been, guys. The church has always been a praying people. And as soon as we, we reconnect with our heritage of prayer, now all possibilities are back on the table. Now nothing is impossible. Do you understand? Let's stand and bow our heads. Worship team, would you come? Lord, we need a spirit of prayer to infiltrate and fill our body, to fill our pastors and staff, our volunteer leaders. We need a heart of prayer that far exceeds anything we've ever known. We need prayer to become so important to us that it just begins to fill and drip into our conversations and our life. 
Father, this isn't something we can do in our own strength. We can't just say, I'm going to pray more. We can't just make a new rule and law in our life. We know how those go. Laws get broken. Rules get ruined. And if that's how we approach this, then we will be discouraged in no time at all. Probably the end of the day, certainly by the end of the week. But you are a good father. And you gave us prayer. You demonstrated it for the disciples through Jesus. You inspired that early church, those 120, to, to pray for 10 days and wait on Jesus' promise. You are the one who told them the very first day that 3,120 believers, you are the one who taught them that they had to have prayer as, as their DNA of who they are, their core beliefs. So, Lord, I'm praying for prayer. I'm praying for hope for it and, and courage for it and faith for it. I pray that you will help us to get sick of our impossible, just tired of it, and ready for new possibilities. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you answer prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.